Good afternoon. Welcome to Screen Cleaning here on BYU Radio. I'm Jeff Simpson. And I'm Cole Wessinger. And we are here each and every weekend to give you the very best in entertainment. We like to shine a big old spotlight on all that is good in the entertainment industry. Isn't that right, Cole? It is, and we've got some good trailers this week. We always try to talk about the best in all the news, um, and there's one or two trailers. This week, there are some big ones to talk about. Yeah. Let's start with the one you are probably most excited about, Cole. If I had to go out on a limb, I would think you're most excited for the the Marvel trailer, the Black Widow trailer. It's a bold guess of you, and (laughs) I certainly am. Black Widow is getting her own feature-length movie, finally, in 2020. It's honestly our first look at what Phase 4 will be. We kind of know their plan. We know that Blade is going to be a part of it with Mahershala Ali. We know we're getting a Guardians 3 and a Black Panther 2 eventually in all of these movies. But this is our first actual look at footage of what will be the Marvel Universe post the Infinity Saga. And I have to admit, Cole, I wasn't all that excited until... Stranger Things, David Harbour showed up. I'm not sure what character he's portraying, but he's in this suit that it looks like he's too fat for now, but he's still, you know, kicking booties and getting the bad guys, (laughs) putting them in their place. After 11 years of Marvel movies, we are finally to the characters that I know less about comic book wise. And so I don't know who David Harbour is playing either. And I'm okay with that. And I'm excited to learn. I'm excited to just see the movie and get introduced to Black Widow's world through this. I want the only thing I know about it is it's a prequel. That's all I could tell you. It's it's so the story of her and Hawkeye in Budapest, because that's what they kind of talk about. So something big went down there, right? We get to find out what it was. Oh, boy. Okay. Maybe now that I think about it, you might even be more excited for the new James Bond trailer. No time to die. This movie has been percolating for quite some time. We have had news about James Bond 25 yet to be untitled for so long. For the past, I think, year and a half on the show, every other month or so, we got, oh, this person was going to direct it. Uh, Maybe not. This person's on to write it. Uh, We might have a title. Um, Idris Elba might be in it. Uh, Maybe not. You know, all of these things. We finally get a trailer. We get our first look. And guess what? James Bond is back. Q is back. Everyone's back. So... I, you mentioned kind of the revolving door of directors. The, the current director, who knows, maybe they'll do a Bohemian Rhapsody and they'll switch out directors Wouldn't right to the end. be the first time Rami Malek has dealt with that? Carrie Fukunaga. Okay. Do you know who that is, Cole? Nope, not at all. Do you know what he has done? Educate me. Uh, True Detective. Season, oh, he was season one, the good season of True Detective. That's right. <laughs> I did know that. Yeah. So um, this is exciting because a lot of these news, pieces of news that we've seen over the years, we get to see it on the big screen. So we know that Christoph Waltz is back as Blofeld. We know that Rami Malek is is in a, some villainous role. The villain. Bond even says the world is not kind to men like you, the villains like you that try to play God. Right. They don't, it doesn't have a good track record, right? And uh, there are some really cool-looking stunts in this trailer, Cole. I'm super excited. Super excited. It's in, this is the Daniel Craig Bond, and we know that his time is kind of coming to an end. So if these Bonds haven't been your style, 
there's more Bonds to come, I'm sure. Right. There's one other trailer that we're pretty excited about. Well, I don't know if you've seen it, Cole, but I just watched it, and I think it looks pretty good. This this could break the Disney live-action curse, which is, you know— Making a ton of money. Other than Cinderella, there hasn't really been anything that I'd want to watch again. Hmm. So it looks really good. I don't see any of the Eddie Murphy. Is he Mushu? Yeah, so we're talking about Mulan. Right. And I Eddie have, Murphy was Mushu, the little tiny dragon. I have a confession. I've never seen Mulan, the animated version, Cole. Really, Jeff? Never seen it. I've seen bits and pieces of it as my kids and my wife have watched it. I mean, that is prime Disney Renaissance time. If if someone tells me they haven't seen any Disney movie between 1989 and 1999 from Little Mermaid through Tarzan, when they were churning them out almost every single year, I'm shocked. Mulan's well, one of those. Mulan's one of the better ones. Mulan's probably the my second favorite one. No signs of uh, Mushu. No signs of music of any kind. No signs of well, Harvey Firestein or no signs of Donny Osmond. The music asterisk is that <laughs> there's plenty of soundtrack of the popular songs that we got to know during it. It's just not a musical in that they're singing along to it. Well, Cole, there is a movie out this weekend that we probably ought to talk about. There's a couple, but we got to see one of them at least. Right. Dark Waters sounds like a horror movie. Even the marketing for this movie kind of makes it seem like it's a thriller. Dark Waters, right? I'm pretty sure there is some Jennifer Connelly horror movie that is something like Dark Waters, something like that. It reminds me of like a shark coming out to get you. Well, it's funny you say that because the opening of this movie involves these teenagers hopping this fence and going skinny dipping in this little pond-like thing, right? Scandalous. Well, they – so it even starts out like a horror movie. They get kicked out by these guys in a boat – who are spraying this mysterious substance into the water. Mm. Flash forward like 20 years, and uh, there's this defense lawyer played by Mark Ruffalo, and this is based on a true story. He is, he defends chemical companies, and there's this farmer who uh, pulls on his heartstrings a little bit, and he says, your grandma told me I could talk to you. Apparently, he's having a huge livestock uh, mortality issue, And he's asking Mark Ruffalo to check into it. And the more Mark Ruffalo's character goes and takes a look at things, the more he knows that something is not quite right in this little town in West Virginia. And what I love about this movie is you really care about the characters. And it may not be a horror movie or even really a thriller like the trailers make it seem like it's going to be. But it is a very gripping drama. It's funny because a lot of the legal and a lot of the uh, corporate um, hard-hitting drama films that are really well done all seem to be about contaminated water. Because there's Aaron Brockovich, there's a civil action, and there must be something in the water, Cole. Mm-hmm. Um, there was a scene toward the middle that really pulled on my heartstrings because... It had to do with some of the birth defects that uh, came with this contamination from working at du- DuPont. I guess I should mention that the, the DuPont is the culprit. Yeah. And uh, yeah, and they talk about Teflon and how at the very end of the movie it said about 99% of all humans have Teflon in their bloodstream. And so it was really kind of scary. They got a little preachy at times, more than I would have liked it to. 
But uh, you really do care about the characters and what happens to these people. And I do like that at the end they show you some of the the people in real life that they actually showed in the film playing other characters. Sometimes they're background characters. Sometimes they had speaking roles. But uh, they used some of the real people that were affected by this. I love the message. I love Everybody loves a David versus Goliath story. And this is certainly one of the better films I've seen this year. Taking down the man. Yeah. Well, Cole... We talked about all those movies that are coming out. We talked about Dark Waters. But I think the movie that you and I are really, really excited to see next weekend is Jumanji The Next Level. And I don't know about you. I've already got my tickets to see it Thursday night. And my wife and I will be sitting in our luxury seats enjoying the silliness that is Dwayne The Rock Johnson, Kevin Hart, Jack Black, and uh, Karen Gillan, and a bunch of others. This is a movie about characters that are stuck inside a video game. And it got Cole and me thinking, if there was going to be a video game that we had to be stuck inside of, which one would it be and why? Hmm. We'll ponder on that as we take a break. And when we return, we'll answer that very question here on Screen Clearing. We have some issues here. The game is busted. Listen up now. This is a dangerous place. You've got to have eyes in the back of your head. What in the Sam Hill just happened to him? You, of course, know that sound, and I appreciate that you got the actual music from the video game itself and not just the generic James Bond theme, Cole. Right, and this is Pierce Brosnan Bond, but in video game form, we talk about the new Daniel Craig. I haven't played a James Bond video game since Goldeneye. Uh, Why would you ever, Cole? And we teased before we went to break that Cole and I are going to imagine what it would be like to be stuck inside a video game. and Jumanji style. Yes, which ones we would actually want to be stuck inside of. And mainly we're talking about this because normally we talk about movies, but there's no good video game movies to talk about, so we had to get a little bit creative. Right. There are only (laughs) uh, movies that are like video games. Right. Right? Yeah. Well, there's still time, Cole. There are many, many decades of video games to come out. We'll keep getting them despite failures all around. It's interesting that you started with the most dangerous one on my list. And what I the way I decided to break this down was I wanted to see which video game I would choose to be in on each of the consoles that I grew up with and played on. Interesting. So we'll have one for NES, the regular Nintendo system. Uh, a system called TurboGrafx-16, which you've probably never heard of. You've heard of it because I've mentioned it before on the show. But I've never played it. Sega Genesis, Super Nintendo, Nintendo 64, and a game from the arcade. All right? So let's start with GoldenEye. This came out in 1997. This was a very big deal for me and for pretty much anybody else that played it. And a big deal for video games that would follow because this was the first popular first-person shooter that entered into that world that Halo and Call of Duty would later perfect. Right, and we had Doom before that. A lot of people were playing that on their PCs, right? But this was a big... Console-wise, four players getting together, you got controllers in your hand, on a TV. This was a big deal for me because I remember taking this console and this video game to my uh, high school uh, theater, and we put it up on this giant 
projection screen. And As if we, the graphics weren't bad enough on a tiny right. TV. And we played four-player GoldenEye. Now, the reason I would want to be in this one, not because of the danger. Cole, your eyes popped open when I told you it was going to be GoldenEye because you thought that uh, I would be in great danger. We're supposed to live in this world. Right. What are you doing? Well, yes, you have a very good point. I would get shot a lot. <laughs> the good point is you don't die immediately, I guess, depending on what mode you're playing in, because there is a mode, there's expert mode, there's intermediate. Just like with any video game, you can choose what level you're going to choose to play it on. That was the sound of me dying. Um, and the blood coming down the But screen. hopefully I'd have more than one life. <laughs> the reason I chose this one isn't because uh, I could get shot dozens of times and still be alive, although that certainly has an advantage over a lot of these other games I could choose. Um, it's because it's identical to the movie. Now, if you've seen the movie and you've played the game, you'll notice that really it's as identical as you can get as far as video game adaptations are concerned. So I would know the levels so well, not only because I've played it so many times, but because I've seen and loved the movie, that I would feel pretty confident that I could navigate myself around this universe and come out okay. Especially if I could somehow, and this only works in multiplayer mode, but if I could somehow play the regular game as Odd Job, the really short villain from Goldfinger, which in my mind may be the best James Bond film. Whoa. Um, then I think I would feel pretty confident because you could I not only is he really short, but then I could use the duck feature and turn out just all right. Unless I activate big head mode, in which case it becomes that much easier yeah. to get you. What about you, Cole? What's a game you would be stuck in? So it's in? no secret that Jeff and I are movie fans, so I will talk about the the video game based on a movie on my list as well. Anytime a studio is looking for a quick cash in, they make an always really bad adaptation of a movie to the video game. My favorite example is when Aladdin had two entirely different video games made out of it, one for the Sega Genesis and one for the Super NES. But I'm not picking any of those, and I'm not picking any of the the Harry Potter or Lord of the Rings that I did enjoy and play. Okay. I want to specifically play Lego Harry Potter. Really? Years one through four, because the Lego video games are hilarious. Uh, a short runner-up to this was Lego Star Wars, the prequels and the original. I, the Lego, the Lego of it all, just makes it all so much more fun, and the the cutscenes throughout it insert a, a fun little humor and a self awareness that we didn't know. And and those video games predated the funny and hilarious Lego movies that we've recently been getting. Yeah. I'm going to go backwards, and those are fun games, I will admit. The sound effects of, like, the, the all the... Uh, the Legos The Legos breaking apart. apart. Yeah, yeah exactly. It. And if I want to be in... The, I, I do want to be able to have magic and, and play with the Harry Potter oh, universe. Yeah. And the best video game based on Harry Potter, I think, was actually the Lego one. Yeah. So, from here on out, most of my picks are going to be pretty safe bets, right? The most dangerous one I started with. I'm going to go backwards chronologically. And you just mentioned it, actually, Cole. I would live in 1993's 
Aladdin on Super Nintendo. So you want the SNES one? Oh yeah, as opposed to the Lego Genesis. I didn't Sega have Genesis. a Sega Genesis, so I had to do Super Nintendo, and I liked the controls better. But in my opinion, the biased. superior Aladdin game. Okay, so I would not only live in this game because it's prob- possibly the, the easiest video game I've ever played. Easier than Mario, I would even think. Um, But you get to do some really cool things. You get to fly on a magic carpet and you get to dodge uh, lava. You get to you get to float around with this cloth parachute. So and then you get to you get to have bonus levels that involve the genie and you get extra lives up the wazoo. So, yeah, it's so easy. You're constantly getting extra lives and you get to collect diamonds and rubies and rescue Princess Jasmine at the end. Obviously, I would live in 1993's Aladdin. When you talk about collecting rubies and and everything, I got to thinking, if I want to go into a video game world, what might be the most practical? And I thought immediately of Sonic and how many gold rings you can just pick up. A lot more than just five golden rings. You can get (laughs) hundreds and hundreds and then, of course, come out of the video game and sell them and be a rich man for the rest of your life, probably. But the one video game artifact I think that I would want the most Mm. is the portal gun from the (gasps) video game Portal and Portal 2. Oh, okay. What system is that on again? So these were – I personally played it on PlayStation 3, and I've only actually played Portal 2, not the first one. I don't necessarily want to be in the whole world because you start that one in a very post-apocalyptic – you were kind of hired for a a test subject thing uh, and then you fell asleep and you woke up after everything broke down. But the gun itself is super cool because you point it. Uh, with one with the blue setting at one place and then you point it with the orange setting at a different place and you can just jump through and pop out and it's so cool it's interesting you mentioned sonic too because yeah you get a ton of coins really quickly but then you can lose them all at once if you bump into something you you lose everything yeah so I'm going to go now to Nintendo. I actually still own a Nintendo and a Super Nintendo. I really wish I still had GoldenEye. I really, really do. Um, But this is a game that came out in 1990, and it's called Disney's Adventures in the Magic Kingdom. Now, I would live in this game. I did not own this game. My cousin owned it, and I would play it any time I'd go over to his house. Because what's the next best thing if you can't afford or you can't convince your parents to take you to Disneyland? The next best thing is to go on the rides at Disneyland on a video game, (laughs) right? So the problem with this is there are only five levels, which is maybe why I would want to live in this world. Because you wouldn't have to work very hard to beat the game and get out of this world Although you wouldn't really want to because you get to go on Pirates of the Caribbean, the Haunted Mansion, Big Thunder Mountain, and uh, uh, Utopia, and my favorite ride at Disneyland, Space Mountain. So this was a big deal for me growing up. Who wouldn't want to be stuck in Disneyland reliving these great rides over and over and over again. Granted, Was was it actually a fun video game, though, Jeff? Yes. Well, (laughs) I remember it being fun. You can go look it up on YouTube. You can really look up any of the gameplays of any of these games on YouTube. Um, the, The only thing is, you know, the rides on the game are a little different than I remember them in real life. If you go on Big Thunder Mountain, hopefully at 
the real Disneyland, you're not dealing with broken tracks and having to jump from track Ooh. to track. If I had to choose an honorable mention for Nintendo, I would choose Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles <laughs> solely for the fact that the way to get additional power is by eating pizza. Pizza's my favorite food. I think I could take care of that. I wouldn't want to deal with any of the other aspects of that game because you're spending the whole time in the sewer fighting off dirty rodents. So, no thanks. I'll stick with the uh, Disney's Adventures in the Magic Kingdom. Disney's Adventures in the Magic Kingdom. As you were talking about it, it made me think of one that I hadn't thought of before but might crack my list now that I think about it, and that's Roller Coaster Tycoon. Oh, really? You just get to create your own theme park, and that's pretty fun. I never owned it. I always played it at a friend's house. He had it on PC. But the other games that I remember, my most fond memories as a child going to my friend's house to play, a video game that I didn't personally have, were the open world games in those Mm. early PS, PS2 eras. Now, Grand Theft Auto is a pretty dangerous world, and I wouldn't want to live there. Red Dead Redemption is basically Old West Grand Theft Auto, and you'd probably get shot there too. But (laughs) Spider-Man 2... Okay. It's a little more safe. Spider-Man is my favorite superhero of all time. It was the first open world game that I ever played where I'm not just confined to an amusement park. I'm confined to just all of New York City. And I can spend all of my time ignoring the side quests and just slinging on webs from skyscraper to skyscraper. It's been my dream since I can remember having dreams to be (laughs) Spider-Man. And Spider-Man 2 gave me the first taste of that in in a ranging video game where it didn't confine me. And so if I'm going into a world, I'd like an open world. Spider-Man 2, I think, the best open world game. I think you're sensing a theme here uh, where my video games that I'd be stuck in are much, much older than Cole's. (laughs) I will admit I've played a little bit of Spider-Man on one of the PlayStations many, many, many years ago. And it was pretty cool to sling webs and to Mm -hmm. swing around. That was way cool. Um, You mentioned Sega Genesis. I didn't have a Sega Genesis, but our neighbors did. And I remember playing a Mickey Mouse game on Sega, loving it. But the one that I thought was really cool was Moonwalker from 1990. If you're not familiar with Moonwalker, this is uh, based on kind of a short movie that Michael Jackson did. It's like this big, long music video that Joe Pesci shows up in, and you get to hear really good Michael Jackson songs like Smooth Criminal. And so you kind of get to go into this bar and like hop onto pool tables and beat up bad guys. I I don't like the peril necessarily that would be inherent with fighting gangsters. As always. And there are children in peril in this, so I would have to protect all of these children. But uh, the best part and the the reason I would really want to live in this world is who wouldn't want to live in a world where you just had Michael Jackson music blaring as loud as possible and you get to – that's like your fight theme. You know, in the the scene in Jumanji where she's fighting to – Oh, what's the song she's fighting to? It's because her superpower is dance fighting, and so she turns on the radio. Baby, I love your way, right? Which is an interesting (laughs) song to fight to. I want to fight to Smooth Criminal. Jeff, I can't believe that we forgot in our news section that there's going to be a Michael Jackson movie starring Johnny Depp as Michael Jackson's glove. What? Have you read about that? No. It's the most ridiculous news I think I've seen all year. 
and I forgot about it until you started talking about a Michael Jackson video game, an animated Michael Jackson's glove movie with Johnny Depp is coming to theaters near you. It wouldn't surprise me at this point in Johnny Depp's career. I've got another video game um, going along with the open world aspect. The the world of Kanto and Johto and the Pokemon universe are, are not you, quite open. I was lost until you said Pokemon, so thank you. Right. Um, the Pokemon place where you go um, just kind of opens things up. I would love to be just a kid again that embarks out on a great adventure. And along the way, you get to pick up the Pokemon and, and be in that world. It's it's one of my fondest video game memories. It's It might be the game I have played the most during the course of my life, other than possibly Madden or one of the football video games that I play. Pokemon is always entertaining. The Pokemon Detective Pikachu movie that came out earlier in the summer gave me a taste of what it would be like if that was the real-life world, and I was hooked on it, and I would love to go into that video game. Okay, this next one is probably the safest bet of any of these because the, the most peril you can find yourself in is if you get removed from the game or you get beamed by a baseball. And this is from the console TurboGrafx-16. Why don't you explain to the TV people what that console even looked like? Absolutely. It that? was kind of this, this uh, rectangular, flat-ish console. And instead of having these big, giant cartridges that would pop up in the center of them, right, right. The, this is arguably, no, I would say this is my favorite game cartridge of any game console that I've ever played. It's basically about the size and thickness of a credit card, and oh. you shove it in a slot like you would put your card into a chip reader. And so, this was decades before right, chip readers. Right. So it's really cool. You just shove it into this chip reader type thing. It goes all the way in. And it wasn't very popular, didn't really take off, at least not here in the States. In other countries, it did. The only reason we had one, and this was so cool, I remember thinking this was the coolest thing in the world as a little kid. My older brother answered a contest, he entered a contest in the newspaper. And the contest was you had to answer correctly all these questions about Nintendo games, oddly enough, because this was a competitor of Nintendo. But uh, the one question he remembered answering was, what side of the screen is the plant on in the ending screen of Double Dragon? He didn't know the answer, so he had to go beat Double Dragon to find out. He mailed in his answers, and he won. That's he awesome. He won the contest, which was he won this uh, TurboGrafx-16 console. So we got introduced to all sorts of cool games like World Class Baseball, which is the, the one I'm mentioning here, Bonk's Adventure. You've probably heard of Bonk's Adventure before, maybe not. But uh, that one, you just get to go bonk bad guys with your head. It's like this baby, this caveman baby. You bonk people with your heads. But, uh, yeah, the worst thing that could happen to me in World Class Baseball is I get hit with a baseball or taken out of the game. Other than that, I'm just playing baseball, which is my favorite sport of all time. Jeff, I want to tell the people we did not collaborate on our lists whatsoever. We independently right, went right. to our different sides of the office, picked six video games we wanted to go into, and then came back. My next selection is Mario Golf Toadstool Tour. There you go. Because I can't think of anything more (laughs) relaxing and more safe in a video game world than playing golf 
all day. Yeah, <laughs> that is funny. So another honorable mention, and speaking of sports, probably because I would just have an insanely good time and laugh my way through all of the peril and pain, there is a dodgeball game you can play on Wii. And this is an, an honorable mention, as I said. I played with my brothers the night before my wedding, and we were in stitches laughing because you're just beaming each other with these balls and the sound effects and, like, falling on your back. So funny. In, in Living in that video game would be extremely painful, I'm sure, especially getting hit in the face over and over and over again. But I'd probably be laughing so hard I might not mind all of the bruises and swollen faces. And if there's any video game character that's most like me, if I'm going to go into a video game, it's my me that I created. There you go. Yeah. So if I'm going to the arcade, Cole, which is something I would love doing as a kid because my older brothers worked there, and so we constantly had this endless supply of tokens. Cool. And uh, one game that you'd you'd have to go back to, like, the farthest reaches of the arcade, the dark area where nobody spent any of their time to play this really old game from 1983 called Dragon's Lair. If you're not familiar with this game, you need to watch the first episode of season two of Stranger Things. They're all hovering around this one game, Dragon's Lair. This one, the reason why... So is it Dragon's Lair or Dragon's Slayer? Lair. L-A-I-R. Gotcha. The reason I love this game so much is because it uh, it was done by Don Bluth who was a big animator for Disney, and he had his own company, Made All Dogs Go to Heaven, uh, Secret of Nim. He did... uh, The American Tale movies, right? American Tale, right. So it looks like an animated feature, but it's a video game. And it was a a laser disc that they put inside this big video game console, this arcade uh, console. And the reason I would want to live in this... Not because of the peril, because it would be dangerous to have to fight dragons and other creatures like like walking skeletons and things like that. And you could you could get seriously injured. Um, But the reason I would do this one is because the game tells you every move you need to make. You don't have Ah. to guess. The way that works is an item will blink and you can either move. Up, down, left, right, or attack. But you have to react quickly enough or you die. So that's there is some peril involved, but at least the game would tell me exactly what I need to do, which is not something that you would get in a Jumanji-type game. That's true. And in Jumanji, you're limited to just three lives. My last selection is also kind of a fantasy. Uh, it's, it's my favorite platformer, which is the fancy video game word for basically what Mario or any of the other ones were, where you're just 2D looking at the screen and jumping from platform to platform. Anyone that loves old video games and wants to see it done right with modern graphics and modern music and modern just beauty, go play Ori and the Blind Forest for Hmm. any PC or Xbox, any of the new video game consoles. It's an old... It's an old feeling platformer, but it's just done very beautifully. All the motion is is very, very relaxing, and and mm. the music especially I can't say enough about. It's just wonderful, and honestly, you die more than three times. <laughs> you, you can die over and over again, but 
but it makes it so much a part of the game where you're probably going to try and you're probably going to fail that it doesn't matter. You you can create save points almost anywhere you go. Basically, you're this tiny little critter that's trying to go on an adventure after something happens in his life. And just the opening cutscene sets you up beautifully for the whole thing. And you, you bounce around these little caves and caverns and trees and and explore with a couple different superpowers that you can get along the way. And again, it's it just... It encourages failure in like a productive way and it's very beautiful and very flowing and very relaxing as a video game. Well, there you have it. A bunch of video games that Cole and I would love to be a part of if we were forced to get stuck inside a video game like in the film Jumanji. And don't forget to catch Jumanji the next level in theaters next week. Jeff and I will also have a review next week here on Screen Cleaning. Going from video game music, here you can hear the theme from Ori in the Blind Forest that I was speaking of, that ethereal sound that kind of gets you in the mood. Going over to more seasonally appropriate Christmas music. It's December now, and Jeff and I will be sharing a couple of our favorite Christmas songs when we come back. Santa baby forgot to mention one little thing, a ring. Oh, I love the sound of Eartha Kitt singing Santa Baby. And you know immediately what that song is once you hear the background male singers going, boom, 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 boom. Boom, 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 boom. Obviously, Cole and I were not the male singers on that track. Nor did we you, practice. We didn't practice. Um, but I love, this is a, a Christmas song that so many people love. It definitely would come up on many a best Christmas song list. I'm confident of that. And it's included on our best Christmas song list because that's what we're doing for you right now. Yes. And what I love about this song, not only is the sound of Eartha Kitt's voice. And by the way, if you don't know who Eartha Kitt is, then you need to go back and watch the 1960s television show Batman because she's one of several cat, cat women. women, yeah. And uh, she's also the voice of Yzma from Emperor's New Groove. Did you know that, Cole? I, I think I've learned it since I've been doing the show with you, Jeff. She has a great voice. This song is written by Joan Javits, who is the niece of Senator Jacob K. Javits and also written by Philip Springer. It's just a very tongue-in-cheek, kind of a sassy, cute song about what this woman wants from Santa, all these really expensive things. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, I don't think I could afford to buy any of those things, so I would not be able to impress Eartha Kitt That's myself. why we lean on Santa for getting it for Absolutely. Her of... Thank you, Santa. When I think of Christmas, the first the first song, really it's an album, really it's a whole band that comes to mind and gets me in the mood like no other, has to be Mannheim Steamroll. <gasps> Cole, I am so excited you played this because I went home for Thanksgiving Stole a bunch of my dad's LPs. I'm mm-hmm. going to get a, a record player for Christmas. Uh, Santa, Santa tipped me off. <laughs> and um, this is one of the records. Man, yeah. I'm Steamroller Christmas. So this Christmas. leads off their second album, I believe. This is Hark the Herald Trumpets Sing. Oh, I have no idea which, which one I grabbed. followed up by Hark the Herald Angels Sing. They have a version of that as well. Really 
this and I had to pick a song that began an album because I just remember putting in the CD, starting it, and boom, now it's Christmas time. Now we can start, you know, unpacking all the the tree and the ornaments and the things you put up on the shelves. Now it's really Christmas time. You know, it's interesting because you bring up a good talking point, Cole. For for you, the listener, what is the song? That means Christmas for you. Like, it means, okay, this is the first song we're playing. We're getting out the decorations. It's officially begun, right? Yep. So for you, this is it. For my wife, it would probably be anything from Carpenter's Christmas. And I'll admit, that is a fantastic, fantastic album. For her, it might also be Mariah Carey's uh, All, All I, want, I for want for Christmas for, Christmas for you, you, which is fantastic and uh, is going to pop up again here in the episode. I'm predicting, Cole, not in this segment, but hmm. maybe later in the show. And this song is in that same movie that will make an appearance later on in the show. And it's called Christmas is All Around, performed by Billy Mack, a.k.a. Bill Nye from the film Love Actually. Oh, sure. And Bill Nye also was in Harry Potter because every British actor ever has been in Harry Potter. I remember right. him as the, the Minister of Magic in the And this is part a one. British film, so a lot of those same people are in this movie as I'm well. Sure. Uh, the original song was called Love is All Around, and uh, it was written by the English rock band The Trogs. Cole, this is the song that starts off the movie Love Actually, and they make a point of joking about it in the movie how they're basically just taking the exact same lyrics to Love is All Around and just changing it to Christmas is All Around so that they can cash in and have an easy paycheck. And uh, it's kind of a running gag throughout the movie and just so funny. One of my favorite Christmas songs also is that way because of a movie. No surprise here. Jeff and I are kind of movie fans uh and so when i want to get in the mood i think Mm. of carol the bells of course which is a fantastic christmas song all by itself but when it transitions into this yes i know i'm watching home williams and it's time to start setting the traps it's time for the part this is the song (laughs) i've said it before on the program but when you go back and watch home alone this is my cue for where i actually rewind to and and start watching the movie uh, because this is where it gets good. Absolutely. As a kid, you want to just see the bad guys get beat up. That was the part that you were most interested in. And this song cues you into it. Yes. So for a minute there, I was hoping, I was hoping, wishing upon a star that you were going to say, and this isn't one of my songs, but I was kind of hoping you were going to say Ode to Joy from Die Hard. <laughs> and I, as I was compiling this list and I thought of what makes a Christmas movie, I realized the music might be the difference. These other movies that oh, have Christmas in them, if you don't have a very Christmassy, jingle bellsy, sleigh bellsy soundtrack, then it's not going to be associated as much with Christmas. I think Home Alone, if they hadn't been so Christmassy with their soundtrack, I'm not sure if we would associate as much with Christmas as we do. Okay, I'm not ready to move on from Home Alone yet, and here is why. Again, anytime I hear this song, I think of the film Home Alone. And another one of the great scenes, if he's not beating up the bad guys, you at least want to see him foil the bad guys, right, Cole? Yep. And he does it in spectacular fashion. 
in a very clever scene where uh, the bad guys are scoping out the neighborhood. They're still not sure if anybody is still here at this McAllister house or if everybody's on vacation like they're supposed to be mm-hmm. until they pull up. And by all accounts, the house is rocking and all the guests inside are rocking around the Christmas tree. But really, it's just Kevin and his contraptions again, making it look like all of these big cardboard cutouts. I know or Michael blow Jordan is in there somewhere on Who a else? on a train. He's like, yes. we have the Polar Express that we set up at my grandma's house, <laughs> and Kevin set up his Polar Express and taped Michael Jordan's cutout onto it to make it look like someone's. Rocking around a Christmas tree. I love it. And Cole, you're going to love the little story behind this song. So it was written by Johnny Marks, who was actually Jewish. So even though he was Jewish, Jewish, he actually specialized in writing Christmas songs. And he wrote a lot of good ones. Listen to this. Okay. Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer. Heard of it. Uh, so that was written for Gene Autry, right? Rocking Around the Christmas Tree. This is a hit for Brenda Lee, A Holly Jolly Christmas, which Burl Ives, a lot of people associate with Burl Ives. Silver and Gold, again, Burl Ives. I Heard the Bells on Christmas Day, introduced by Bing Crosby. And Run, Rudolph, Run. That Which I think shows up by... in the second Home Alone, oh, if I'm really? not mistaken. Chuck Berry sings Run, Run, Run Rudolph. Rudolph. Yeah. yeah. Or no, Run, Rudolph, Run. Yeah, there's. I think that's maybe a – yeah, you're right. Okay. Right. Yeah. Isn't that – that's a quite the, the chart of popular songs there. Yeah, he did his job. Johnny Marks. So I've got a more serious take on Christmas, right? There's a reason for the season as well. And when I want to – Think about that. I think about my family and I think about my my parents and my dad's favorite Christmas song and one that brings us together was recorded by one of the icons of Christmas songs, Bing Crosby, teaming up with David Bowie. For Peace on Earth and The Little Drummer Boy. My goodness. What an interesting uh, choice, Cole. Uh, didn't Will Ferrell and John C. Riley do a spoof of this? They did, Jeff. But uh, but this is my serious pick. This is the one where again the having it set up with the little drummer boy and and thinking around that serious side of Christmas. This is the song that I think of. Huh. All right. Well, the next one on my list is it has to be on my list because when I think of probably the greatest singers that ever lived, uh, I think of. Nat King Cole as one of them has the most beautiful, soothing, silky voice. I I kept thinking, man, wouldn't it be nice to have that voice and be able to serenade your wife whenever she wanted and just have her fall in love with you all over again? And you really do fall in love with his voice. And he does it in a way, and I want it's interesting you played it after Bing Crosby Cole, because if I had a complaint about Bing Crosby, which I will probably upset a lot of people by saying this, but he's the best. Bing Crosby to me is more interested in himself than he is in entertaining other people. So to me, his voice is a little conceited, whereas Nat King Cole's voice I feel like is more reverent and just beautiful, as we hear here. Holy night. 
the stars are brightly shining. This is probably my favorite rendition of O Holy Night. And uh, this is an old, an old song by, from an old French poem back in the 1800s. But again, I don't think I've ever heard it as beautifully sung or performed than by Nat King Cole. The voice of Carrie Underwood is going to take us into our next Christmas song. Oh, wow. And again, she, I think, captures what you're trying to talk about as well. It's it's another serious song, and I think that she gets it. Dancing in the night with a tail as big as a kite With a tail as big I didn't know you were a Carrie Underwood fan, Cole. I am. I, I enjoy the country music sometimes. I'm from kind of the sticks in Pennsylvania. And did you do you hear what I hear is one I of think my I do. favorite. Do you hear the song? I definitely am hearing the same thing she's hearing. Okay. Um, you know, one thing I forgot to mention about Oh Holy Night. Sure. As beautifully sung as it is uh, by Nat King Cole... It's also the Christmas song that probably gives me the most anxiety of any other Christmas song. Do you know why? Why? You think about Christmas and, you know, if if there's anxiety associated with Christmas, it's usually with trying to get your shopping done in time, right? But this is the one that toward the end of the song has a very high note. Nat King Cole does not try to go off on some insanely high note, but pretty much everybody else does. I'm most anxious when I hear this song performed live because the entire time I'm sitting there with sweaty palms, with like fingernails holding onto my seat, thinking, are they going to be able to nail this high note? Because if not, it totally derails the whole thing. It's the same thing you get with the national anthem every single sporting event or any time that it's performed. And thankfully, Nat King Cole just makes it his own. It's beautiful. Doesn't even worry about the high note. And you're not even worried as a listener. Beautiful. So uh, I, I've i got to include a Beach Boys pick on here, Cole. And it's not Little St. Nick. Jeff, what are you doing? Well, I picked up uh, an album that was a, a Christmas. It was a Merry Christmas from the Beach Boys and, and it was 1964. And I love this song because it's just a song about... Okay, we don't want to imply that there is no Santa Claus. I would never say that because I believe in Santa Claus. Cole? I believe in Santa Claus. Okay. But as is uh, the case in Home Alone, even Kevin McAllister knows that Santa sometimes needs some help, right? So sometimes he needs some people to serve him by appearing as Santa Claus when clearly it's not the Santa Claus, right? This is the story about the Beach Boys going, sitting on Santa's lap at a mall, and only to discover that this isn't the real Santa Claus, and they find out because they pull out they pull off his beard, which is a nightmare for any mall Santa Claus, right, Cole? Exactly. <laughs> Unless you're the real Santa from Miracle on 34th Street. Yes. Good luck pulling that beard off, Cole. This is, for, as I said, from 1964. They attempted to follow up the popularity of this album uh, with another album, but their label rejected it. 
Can you imagine the Beach Boys label rejecting a Christmas album, let alone any album, but a Christmas album, which is like a sure thing, right, Cole? Yeah, if if you're kind of, I mean, I don't know, my I've never been in the music industry, but if you're desperate for a winner, just record some Christmas songs and people will buy it. Right. Well, if you wanted to hear selections of that, it was going to be... It was just going to be called Merry Christmas, probably Merry Christmas from the Beach Boys. But you can get selections from the Merry Christmas section or sessions um, in the 1998 compilation Ultimate Christmas. There you go. So there you go. So the Beach Boys are great. Um, I, I'm going to also tackle a band that invented their own new Christmas song, but I'm going to do it with the Bare Naked Ladies. Okay. Just don't seem so courageous. Hmm. I love their rhyme scheme. <laughs> I yeah. love the way the bare naked ladies sing and, and talk through their songs. I would not have guessed bare naked ladies would appear on a list of best or favorite Christmas songs, Cole. I associate them with the that song. I don't know the name of it, but it's been... One Week is the name of the song. So right <laughs> when you stop knowing the words is where the title of the song comes out. And it's true. And they kind of take their Bare Naked Ladies spin on Christmas songs. But this is one of their originals. It's called The Elf's Lament, which tells the story of this elf that's just been worked to the bone and is tired because he's getting ready for Christmas. And they want to get together and unionize and... And, you know, stick it to the fat man. And that's the this is the song of the elf's lament. Well, my favorite, probably one of my favorite Christmas songs. Again, it's not one that is unique, but it's one that's certainly been performed by many a an artist. I talked about how beautiful and soothing Nat King Cole's voice was. This performer is isn't necessarily the most beautiful singing voice or doesn't have the most beautiful singing voice, but he certainly is one of the most unique. And he's singing with a woman who has a very old-fashioned sounding voice who is a modern performer. And this is from Zoe Deschanel and Leon Redbone. It's cold outside. I've got to go away. it's cold. Outside. Not the Zoe Deschanel version from Elf, where she's singing with Will Ferrell. Right, but this is on the Elf soundtrack, and I just love Leon Redbone's voice. He ha- sang for a couple of theme songs on TV shows like Mr. Belvedere. Just as a, imagine a, a bunny rabbit singing, and you'd get Leon Redbone. It is. It's a. It's a Christmassy sound to it. I think that they do get that song. You know, going back and forth sounds nice. I think I've got one more. Okay. Right? Um, and I like the way we're ending here. You know, we talk about different bands putting their spin on classic Christmas songs. Uh, so let's just sit back and take in what happens when a rock and roll band mm. does Christmas. We're not gonna take it. Is it Twisted Sister? This is from the album A Twisted Christmas. Awesome. By Twisted Sister. I have to download this, Cole. Cole, I am loving this. 
Dun, 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 dun. So they just decided, how can we not have to write a new song? We can just change. We don't even have to write the lyrics. How can we just present the same exact song and make a ton of money? We're not going to take it. Oh, come all you faithful. Smash it together. <laughs> and they have a whole album. A Twisted Christmas is a fantastic whole album of just rocking Christmas songs right around when, you know, Mannheim Steamroller and then Trans-Siberian Orchestra and everyone else was doing their rock Christmas. Twisted Sisters stepped into the pool as well. And I think they did a fantastic job. Well, if you're not yet in the mood for Christmas, we hope you are now after listening to all of those uh, favorites of ours from the Christmas season. And we hope you get in the mood for Christmas, too, when we return and talk about Christmas movies that we haven't seen yet that uh, we might get around to seeing this holiday season. That's up next. Star of wonder, star of night, star with You know I love Christmas, and I always will. I just will, like, too. Just like Billy Mack from Love Actually. Have you ever seen Love Actually, Cole? You know what, Jeff? I haven't, but it is a movie that I've been meaning to watch. Huh. huh. I've, I've been, been meaning, meaning to, to watch, watch that. that. Christmas edition. This is so exciting, Cole. Uh, are you? Do you mean to tell me that you are going to watch Love Actually? I am. It's a Christmas movie that's kind of slipped by the radar. I know that you've seen it, so what should I be expecting here? It's kind of an annual tradition in our home to watch it. I should point out, though, part of the tradition is to watch it edited. And I would highly recommend, if you have the opportunity, to watch it edited. If you don't have the opportunity, you might want to skip it if you've got young ones around be ye warned. I, I didn't realize that it was such kind of an R for so many different reasons when you check the parents guide on IMDb because I always was under the assumption it was just another cutesy Christmas movie where everyone gets together in the end. Language, nudity, but it is an anthology of sorts where you have all of these characters that you get to see little snapshots of how they're celebrating Christmas. Some are silly, some are uh, heartwarming, and others are kind of depressing. But there are many forms of love. Sometimes hearts are broken, sometimes hearts are mended, Mm -hmm. and sometimes hearts find their way to each other. Right, Cole? That's what you're going to get with love, actually. Great messages, but again, I can't stress enough you may want to watch this edited if you've got little ones around or if you yourself are squeamish in the sense that, you know, there's not any violence or gore or anything, but there's plenty of everything else. Gotcha. So, gosh, I had to narrow my list down to a few films that I had never seen but had been meaning to. But ultimately, I circled around to a movie called Joyeux Noel. Have you ever heard of this film, Cole? I haven't. It sounds like Joy Christmas. Yes. So it is a French film. It came out in 2005. I've never seen it. But uh, here's just a little synopsis of the film provided by IMDb. In December 1914, an unofficial Christmas truce on the Western Front allows soldiers from opposing sides of the First World War 
to gain insight into each other's way of life. Oh, see, I've heard about this is based on a true story because I I remember hearing that in World War One they kind of took that hiatus for Christmas time. Right, and it didn't really happen after that. But for this Christmas, there is a ceasefire, and this would be another example of a silent night that would be very peaceful and would probably be very reverent and special. And again, not something that was really repeated afterwards. And so you're going to check out this movie. I'm going to check out Love Actually. In two weeks, we're going to come back with our thoughts on those movies because next week, remember, it is our big trilogies bracket. Uh, You've got another week, another chance to go on. Just check out the podcast description and vote for it. There will be a chance to win a prize. Mm. Prizes are fun. Well, Cole, we've got to end the show by doing a little panning for good, right? We always do. There's good in them dire hills. (laughs) Today I want to circle back around to video games. Looking forward to Jumanji The Next Level. And I want to talk about a different kind of way to get video games. Uh, Not everyone is a fan of sitting down with the controller and trying to figure it out themselves, but we assume the folks that listen to us are movie fans where you can sit down and watch it happen. Video games nowadays are so cinematic and have such rich stories that there are plenty of places on YouTube or on streaming platforms like Twitch where you can watch people play video games. When you say it like that, it sounds dumb, but the (laughs) Let's Play community is a really cool and wholesome place sometimes when you find the right guys uh, to just sit back and enjoy people playing uh, the story and and seeing the surprises and having some of the the comedy where you feel like you're just sitting around with your friends playing the game uh, as they joke back and forth about things that happen. Well, Cole, I'm going to take your word on that one. Um. <laughs> There's all kinds of – so you can do it. It's fun to watch people play horror games sure. because they jump out of their seats whenever a jump scare comes. There you it's go. It's fun to watch them play sports games where they kind of invent the, the season narratives and kind of play the part of ESPN um, while they're just playing a game in, in a fictional timeline of, of sports. I'll give you this, Cole. I do enjoy watching my little kids play video games. There you go. It's You're doing cute. a part of it. Yeah. As well. And so for anyone that just the video games, you know, aren't their style, I would encourage to try this out because there's a lot of cool stories being told within the video games uh, that I think you could give a chance. Well, we hope we've we've gotten you in the Christmas spirit where there will be other Christmas shows this month here on Screen Cleaning. And you can catch us every Saturday at 6 p.m. Eastern, 3 p.m. Pacific on BYU Radio. You can download our podcast or stream us live anytime. On all of the podcast apps and websites, you go to BYURadio.org or Stitcher, iTunes, uh, all, all sorts of places. And be sure to tune in next week for our big trilogies bracket. We've been looking forward to it. We'll see you then. <laughs>